While ostensibly a show about emus, the MEP report is actually done by human beings. So we've hired a real emu to help tell our story. The MEP report is a funny show. The MEP report is available weekly for free download online at mepreport.com. Emus are sometimes farmed for their glands. The Map Report. Listen now. Left my home back in Omaha. To see if I could make it out in the world. And I got as far as Wichita. But suddenly I wasn't sure anymore. Lost all my friends in Los Angeles And I'm not welcome in New York But I must stop acting on my heart Where the fans, they always crying out for Alright, in that case, Welcome to Bep Report number 111, January 20th, 2009. What's going on, everyone, today? And, and we have uh, not just three, but we have four today. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to bring back to the Mep Report his first appearance on the show in, I believe, a year. <laughs> no, it's been less than that. <laughs> it is this year. It is my first appearance this year. That's it a good is point. also coincidentally all the of our first report. appearances all the year. That's right. I'd, I'd like to make a, exactly. make a statement, though, before we go on that yes. this, this is being recorded. All comments um, said from this point forward. <laughs> Will will be recorded. Oh yes, that's true. Noted. That's right. All com. This is on the record. It's an on the record conversation. To some unreleased conversations that may have been recorded, in which the material we discussed was objectionable to one of the members, and then had to kibosh the release of such recordings. Exactly. There's really? no reason to believe that either one or even say two shows have been out there in the ether, but having something to do with something um, couldn't be released. So there's no reason to believe that that's true. And speaking of the recording, I just want to uh, want to throw a shout out to Senevine at whatever age she is permitted to start listening to Map Report. <laughs> I don't right. know if you've decided on that or discussed that, but uh, yeah, she is one hi, year Senevine, old. Senevine, if you're not sick of these already, this is a uh, <laughs> shout out to you. And your teenage angst. Cinnabine is one year old today. Or, or um, your 30th birthday or whatever it is. Whenever <laughs> they feel like this is okay for you. Is today Senny's birthday? It is. It's, it was one year ago today. Actually, a couple days ago. It was, I guess, yesterday, a year ago today, when Clea was doing a MEP report with us and uh, started yeah. feeling contractions. And here it's actually been a year since that time, which is disturbing to me. I don't know if it's disturbing to you guys, but I can't believe that can't we're already a year. I can't believe the whole year's passed. But, uh, yeah. And so uh, on the inauguration of our 44th president, Senevine uh, is one year old, so it's very exciting. We're all very excited. And before we get into the Obama thing, I just want to bring one very quick thing up. This is going to go into what the category of <laughs> the category of too much information. Did something happen today with Obama? Uh, Isn't that a Beach Boys song or something? What? A boomer. A banner. Obama. Yeah, that was it. Montego. Yeah, it's like the one you posted on the my report site with the Daft Punk, which, by the way, you're right, Russ. That's tremendous. I was also blown away by that video. Oh, Isn't that great? B. 
say it. And I've, I want to bring something up about that when you get there. But before we go there, I just want to say one quick thing because I want to ask you guys a medical question. And that's this. So I'm, sta- I'm sitting here right now on the couch with my legs up. The reason is that I had a uh, what they called a suspicious mole removed from my leg. Now, this okay. mole uh, is... Did sufficient. you pull over a trench coat and have a mustache and uh, yes. walk around? Yes. Because really, you should have known what I was doing by that time. Well, the problem was I kept <laughs> misplacing my secret plans, and he seemed to act like he knew. No. Um, so anyway, so yeah, the suspicious mole was removed. Who and is the, the Greg's they... mole? <laughs> Why is he so suspicious? Is so... it pimple? Is it birthmark? <laughs> Why don't you ask him? melanoma? I'm just a birthmark. Dun, dun, dun. birthmark. Anyway... So, um, so I went into the dermatologist, and they did the whole <laughs> not a piece of gravy. <laughs> so I went into the dermatologist, and I went not a tumor, um, and I had a what they call a body scan done, where they just looked to make sure, you know. And this is the only one I had. He's like, well, it's a little, you know, so I'm going to want to take care of that. And so the way they do this is they do a little biopsy of it, which is literally they remove a little bit of it. So I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, so they go in, they anesthetize the area. It's not fun getting a shot in your calf. Let me just say that's not the most meat on the mm. bone down in that area, but whatever. So he does that. And then he, you know, does a little biopsy, take, you know, takes a little piece of it out and then sends it off to the lab. I'm like, okay, fine. A few weeks later, fast forward, I call up and they're like, yeah, so, um, it's, you know, they, we, it's not cancerous and that's good, but they said it is because it's a little atypical. Uh, you know, it's the kind of thing that could down the road become cancer if we didn't do anything about it. So we want to remove more of it. So I was like, okay. So I went into the office and tonight is when I had it done just before we started recording the show and they removed more of it. So again, shot to the calf, not so much fun, removes more of it, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I was like, came out with only one leg. Well, right, this is what I'm like, going to do. This really you, you've already anticipated my my question. So, <laughs> so I was like, okay, so what's the deal? He's like, well, you know, so we're going to send this into the lab and see. And they got the job each time when they do it, they want to see if the skin that he took around the outside of it is healthy skin, and thus they don't have to cut anymore. And I'm like, okay, but what happens if say that there is more? He's like. Well, then what we would do is cut more out. So clearly the option is like, finally, they're like, well, we just have to amputate your leg. Like, I mean, like this was not that big a mole. You know what I mean? And I'm like, do you guys have any other option? Like, theoretically, the way to keep this from becoming anything serious is to just take all the skin off my entire body. Right. Like you could literally just cut me up entirely, like make me into a hole. And then you wouldn't have to worry about my skin having anything on it. I'd also be dead. But, you know, the side effect is that I would not have to worry about moles. So I guess I'm just wondering, do you guys think that this is just sort of the general medical opinion about things is like you just keep cutting and cutting and cutting until anything that could ever be viewed as vaguely unhealthy and what is the larger implication of that view for our world philosophically that is my question for all of you all right i'm gonna take a little well, nap while you guys I just <laughs> given given your proclivity towards our proclivities about medical care is this really the conversation exactly. you want to be having greg exactly, is this greg. really you really are asking the two people who you've named as the only people less reasonable about doctors than you are right this question about so are doctors malignant or not? Op choice. Well, really? I'm not saying that he's malignant. I, I do think this is well, – I've read yeah. a lot of – did a lot of research that suggests that this is what he's doing is the right procedure. I'm just wondering like uh, – you know, we've talked about doctors not having a second gear, and I'm just thinking what if this was on my face? Like would he just remove my face? Like I don't, I don't know – you know, probably. Like, <laughs> you would probably remove. <laughs> like Russ, you know Drew Brees, right? The quarterback for the Saints, who has a very yes. sizable mole. Offensive and, player of the year. Yeah, you could argue that it's more than a mole. You could argue that it was a 
it was a an offensive par- court parasitic player. growth it's on tiny the side of his face. Microfiche sized playbook <laughs> exactly. on his face. And so I'm thinking maybe that, you know, because I asked the guy about that. I'm like, so I guess this would be worse if I was on my face. And he's like, yeah, it would be. To which wasn't the expect I was expecting. He'd be like, no, he would do something different. Boy, he's like, no, that would have been rough. <laughs> I'm like, what? No. You wouldn't have no ear for you. I, I don't know. I guess I just. Uh... It's things like this, too, that most people don't do body scans. You know, I mean, it's like it's not the norm thing to do. Right. Not to be flippant about such a serious issue, but doctors know so little about cancer. It's ridiculous. They're just like, well. Sometimes your body grows in ways that are extremely harmful to you. And usually, if we cut off the thing that starts it, it goes away. Occasionally, it goes into remission completely spontaneously. Other times, it crops up in foreign places that aren't at all connected to the place where it started. And sometimes, when we cut off a little, it stops. And sometimes, it doesn't. And sometimes, it grows by itself in a dish in your kitchen. But we hope this will work. Like exactly and our alternative method if everything else fails is to try to kill you (laughs) in a way that kills part of you faster than all of you we're gonna make your body the least pleasant place in the world and hopefully then the cancer won't want to hang around but you know lots of other bad things will happen too but although i think russ that your alternative is a good one which is what we should clearly uh, offer as an option is having it grow in addition to your kitchen they're like, well, we could do this, or we could make the cancer grow in a dish in your kitchen. And, like, you'd have to carry the dish with you. You'd have to bring it from kitchen to kitchen, whatever kitchen you move into, but it would always be in the dish and not on you. I think most I think people you should, would do yeah, that. Yeah, you should make cancer that offer and just you see should. our response. Yeah, like, hell's yeah. a great idea. Cancer would be like, we've struck a deal with the Egyptian. Egypt has mediated <laughs> it and uh, has agreed that we will now exist only in dishes in your kitchen. You should graft a little umbilical cord to your cancerous tumor and, and attach the umbilical cord to a dish. Yeah, I'll like, keep feeding you. You can yeah. have all the red blood cells you want. Just the growth just happens. The rest of my body. Externally, yeah. But then we could exactly. leave the you kitchen, You carry around right? a little backpack that you got in the pack. <laughs> no, it's got to <laughs> be in the kitchen. Cancer. You need to have a really long cancer. umbilical cord. No, no, because then you have to live in the kitchen the rest of your life, which is only fitting for <laughs> well, what if you had a wireless so. umbilical cord? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, the future. <laughs> <laughs> it's Wi-Fi. This is a Wi-Fi compatible Wi-Fi. petri dish. <laughs> Takes signals, oh, wow. broadcast for a satellite network, and uses it to create biological stimuli that grows the cancer anywhere you want, anytime. Super convenient. You'd also have to make sure that that was very clearly off limits, right? Like they're like, "Where's the cancer? It's not on the bread machine. Don't touch the cat." You know, you have to no. be very. It's own oh, the cat ate the cancer. Yeah, like, oh no! My cancer's turning blue and pulsing, and on my arm, it's like, "Okay, turn off your Wi-Fi network. Okay, <laughs> turn it back on. Okay, you reboot what your cancer." <laughs> Given that Wi-Fi is busy giving us all cancer anyway, this is probably a larger concern than you guys realize. Yeah, well, we just explained how it does it. (laughs) (laughs) Have you guys heard this, actually, that there there actually is um, research being done? Apparently, it is theoretically possible to have wireless electricity. I'm not making this up. Like, you could actually power things because apparently electricity could be wireless and somehow wouldn't affect us. I'm not clear how walking through fields of electricity wouldn't harm us, but apparently you could have wireless electricity. Isn't the same way Agent Orange doesn't affect us? Isn't it? It's great. Lightning occurs to me as having few wires. So I, I believe that it's possible. Right, but yeah, that's true. Of course, the problem is lightning isn't exactly predictable. Uh, you know, that's the issue with that. And there is also the fact that it will either kill you or, in the case of Story's father, say, make him into really a superhuman safe. and give him cataracts. 
That's and neither is wireless electricity. Sometimes your lights go on. Sometimes your fuses all blow at once spontaneously. Sometimes your eyes glow with the power of a thousand suns. You so, really Russ, never is know. your theory that Monthly everything is sometimes? Your theory is like sometimes things happen this way. Another time, uh, modern happen. science pretty much relies on that. That's why everything is a theory and I not see. a rule or a law. Uh, I see. And it's why I have no faith in science. Right. <laughs> True story. Look it up more. Which is why I am so elated that my fake news story about a scientific discovery has been taken as real by almost everyone who has read it. Yeah, story. So that was exciting. really I haven't spoken to you about that, but I really yeah. enjoyed it a lot. And I was like, Jesus, did Thank you write this or is this from The Onion? This is amazing. It's so good. I, my, my immediate yeah. reaction was to say, one, I was like, well, I don't totally agree with the story about this antidepressant thing, but I think that this is brilliant satire. And then I was like, and again, why are you not writing your next book? What the hell is wrong with you? Yes. That was I my reaction. I am not writing my next book because it is to be scheduled soon. Oh, really? But I can't do it now. Well, I mean – yeah, oh, after your, your I mean, I to release you, from bondage. Yeah, yes. I have to, yes. Right, be released right. from bondage first. Yes. I have to have Moses come down from the mountain and let my people go. And then, um, so, yeah, so uh, for those of you who haven't been to the MEP Report website recently, there is a uh, an article there. It's a few posts down at this point, or probably like two months ago, given how quickly we turn around episodes. Anyway. Yeah, in which I declare on behalf of researchers at the University of Iowa who have actually done no such studies that babies are clinically depressed, and as many as 83% of babies and even a higher percentage of infants need medication immediately to overcome their chronic depression, which causes crying and loss of sleep and web womb exit trauma disorder, or WET-D, which was, I thought, a dead giveaway, but apparently many people were still fooled. It creates incontinence, so. I think you said, too, right? <laughs> oh, yes, incontinence, too. I love yeah. that. was my favorite line. <laughs> In constant crying and incontinence, which are the hallmark signs of depression. <laughs> it's like you're sitting around crying and pooping yourself. You are in bed. It's true. Seriously. Who was doing well does that? Honestly. So who thought it was real? Uh, the two commenters on the on the website so far. Someone I posted on my Facebook, and someone thought it was real there. And uh, yeah, so far the response has been. I actually was secretly hoping that someone would pick it up and run with it and email it to their friends, and I would create an internet phenomenon of this uh, total hoax email that was going around about that would ultimately expose the problems with the psychiatric profession and overmedicating America. That was my dream. I actually but did submit we'll that see. story to Dig, but Dig oh, is yeah. fixed. Oh, know, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, D- Dig is we're what? Just we're just pawns. It's fixed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it has been fixed. Well, um, I thought no, I thought it was I thought it was really great, and uh, I thought the idea that that the the idea that you originally start and you have them cry, you know, and they it may not have any effect, so you must increase the medication until they <laughs> exactly. until it picks up. <laughs> I mean, it's the same. It's the exact same syndrome by which you know shaken baby syndrome happens. Is the theory of I just need to do more of this so they stop crying. Right. I know what the solution is. I just need to do more. So shaken baby I, I syndrome, like which by the way there. is probably yeah. mostly bullshit. I mean, at least nine nine times, ninety nine percent likely is not true. Shaken baby syndrome is true in very very limited cases. Do you know that? A lot of what they say is likely to be a result of shaken baby syndrome is the incredible over vaccination of our children, like taking mm-hmm. in thirty times the amount of aluminum and mercury that the FDA recommends for a baby at a year and giving that to and a shaking. child and a series of shots at the age of two months, things like that. You know, 
which has yeah, no effect by at all. Baking. Because yes. what that does is it just redistributes all the aluminum and lead inside their <laughs> systems evenly and poisons them. No, I mean, it's, there are guys uh, who have been accused of this and who have been, and they found later on that it wasn't shaken right. baby syndrome. It was actually vaccine suck syndrome. Vaccine. And, and that's yeah. what it came down to. So, yeah, so I People thought that was very clever. They're very stuff. likely to violently shake them also. Right. Yet a similar demographic. Right. So, um, but yeah, that was very clever. Uh, and that, that's true. I guess we should say we hope everyone likes the redesign of the page. Yeah, I do. More fake news to come. We will try to dupe you at a later time. Enjoy. Um, I would point you guys to the article that I authored over the weekend, which was uh, Jesus Chooses Arizona Cardinals to Advance to Super Bowl. Um, it was really amazing how in this NFC Championship matchup, they were featured the two most apt spokespeople for each football team are like insane religious fanatics. Kurt Warner and Brian Dawkins both do things like say religious chants to the football before games and the clip on the website is Kurt Warner drawing a little doodle of, of a three-headed Jesus. It's really awesome. A three-headed Jesus? Yeah. Is that, His, is that religious? Well, he was like, well, I know that there are these three parts. And the, so, like, he made, like, the Godhead, like, a little head that existed on Jesus' shoulder. And the Holy Ghost was, like, another little guy that lived on Jesus' other shoulder. He admitted he was and a terrible okay. drawer, to be fair. It was like Jesus, Cerberus and Jesus <laughs> together. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus. We know what's weird about it is that actually, if anyone's read Dante's Inferno, Satan himself is reflected as having three faces. Each of the faces is like, you know, a face and then obviously the two hands and the three faces are gnawing, you know, uh, I believe Judas Iscariot um, and like Brutus and Cassius. And then he's like crushing people. So it's interesting that Warner would use something that was like, you know, the three sure, headed Satan. literature she's never read before yeah it's probably just ignorance now look while he was doing the shopping and you know but that's usually the way it is right it's either evil or ignorance yeah well that's or sometimes the same thing yeah uh i think the steelers felt that god allowed the cardinals to get the super bowl so they could face them i mean you know not that uh you know i think i was gonna say given the choice felt that before right every round they're like yes thank goodness we get the cardinals and i know every round they go home no i know it's definitely dangerous i i don't dispute that at all but i think if you gave him a choice between the eagles the uh you know the titans the panthers the giants and they ended up with the cardinals i think the steelers probably would have chosen that given an option so to be fair kurt warner is one win away from having his own movie made about him starring denzel washington who is every <laughs> like elderly or either okay for the white the white guy's equivalent would be dennis quaid who plays every single right. aging ball or or possibly kevin costner but usually dennis quaid who plays every single aging ball player morality comeback story guy it's true well you know and and the other thing about kurt warner is that he probably now is i won't make this into a sports show but he's a hall of famer now actually he pretty much is like he got them to two Super Bowls, two different teams to two Super Bowls. He's a two time MVP. He's a Super Bowl MVP. I mean, how many full seasons has he played? Has he even played 10 full seasons? He's no. had so many partial seasons and a few games here. And but his numbers, there. though, are, are astronomical for those seasons. Like he, he made the most out of it while he was there. Hard to analyze guys like that because in baseball, you know, there are guys who are huge for a few years here and there, but they just didn't have the longevity to be considered candidates. So I wonder if I the NFL is standard. And I was going to start making fun of the NFL season as a result of this comment because it just seems to me symptomatic of, like, 
you know, it's like just playing for 100 games is probably enough to make you a Hall of Famer in the NFL. It's like, really? He wasn't hurt? Still has legs? Getting 100, 100 games? Well, in Incredible. fact, I was watching a sports station here, and they were doing their Super Bowl trivia contest. I'm sure you guys have heard things like this before where they have you answer like four questions, and if you get four questions right, then you get to go to the Super Bowl. You get like a free trip. But the problem is that these questions are – Yeah, Mike and the are, Mad Dog used to do it every That's year, what right? it is. That's, the, that's what they're doing. And right now, uh, they had O.J. Anderson uh, paired up with Mike uh, doing, asking the questions for this trivia contest. The problem is, though, that these questions go from really easy to absurdly hard. Like, they were like, what was the score of Super Bowl 42? Or no, they, one of the questions is like, who won Super Bowl 42? <laughs> so it's like, uh, the Giants. Yeah, yes, congratulations. The next question, name the only two quarterbacks to ever have been both left-handed and Eskimo in origin, starting in alternate years with a five-year span between them. Like questions that don't even make sense. Like you, And you can tell the people on the other end of the line are like, you know, trying to like search the internet. They're doing Google searches yeah, like, left-handed person era. for things. You, you can hear them too. Like you'll, they'll be like, what is the answer to this question? They'll be like, um, let me think. Let me think. <laughs> exactly. Thinking. Thinking. Exactly. Hang on. I'm thinking. <laughs> like, we need an answer. We know exactly. you're on Google. So as a result, like, you know, no one has gotten anywhere past two questions because they always start with this real easy softball, you know, like, who is the name of the Giants? He's related to another guy. His brother is also a quarterback and uh, he's really good. And he's also, you know, and like they they give you that. And then the second question is like, name the only quarterback to ever have married the coach's daughter uh, of a previous playoff winner, you know, like things like that are just clearly so impossible to Google that, you know. Yeah. Right, exactly. Frank Lloyd Wright. (laughs) Frank Lloyd Wright. So anyway, yeah, these trivia questions have been going on. So so I don't know. So have you guys, did you guys pay any attention? What was your uh, reaction to the inauguration, our 44th president being nominated and uh, duly elected and now taking the oath? I slept through it. What? I was up until 5 in the morning writing an article, and then I was like, oh, it's 5 in the morning. That should be right at inauguration time. And they're like, he'll be inaugurated in 90 minutes. I'm like, oh, crap, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> and I fell asleep, tried to TiVo it. The TiVo failed because it was like a six-hour block that it thought it would be recording. And it was like, can't do it. And then I woke up and to like the luncheon. And I was like, damn it. Yeah. I don't want the luncheon. Did you see any of it, story? Uh, yeah, we watched it at work. I watched it with uh, with a bunch of clients and staff. Oh, but they were all pumped we up. Watched it together in in the in the hall. Yeah, I had my uh, my first disappointment of public reaction to the Obama regime already, which was that the loudest cheer amongst homeless people and staff who work for homeless people was not for his comment about for too long have people been greedy was not for his comment about for too long have those with money and privilege yep. had too much more than others, but it was for we're going to go kill terrorists. Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> But your disappointment shouldn't be in right. him because he brought up those other things first, right? So you should be happy about that. Oh, I mean, sure. But, you know, he's going to go eventually. I mean, that's day one. By day five, he's going to go with whatever sells best, so... I'm not, uh, I'm not holding my breath. Who knows? Who knows? I think he's, uh, he's definitely doing a good job of sort of this balancing act. I thought it was interesting that John Roberts, whose one job outside of, you know, making ruling legal decisions, his one job is to name the oath of office and he can't even get it right. He's like, do you promise to uh, the state America? Do you, you, are you, do you do that? 
<laughs> and Obama's like, uh... serving presidents in your office. What? <laughs> and Obama, <laughs> and then Obama stopped. You could tell he was like, that's not right. Yeah, <laughs> and then Obama's like, like, what am I trying? I, I wish he would have said that. I wish, because now that everyone's pegging this as like some scandal that he was trying to screw up Obama because he doesn't like him because he, he's a conservative. But really, Obama should have said, you know, Chief Justice, you think we can get this right now? This is kind of important. What Obama should have said is, this is why I voted <laughs> against you the now. first time, you incompetent hack. <laughs> Do you know, this is the first time that a Supreme Court justice has sworn in a person who voted against him. For that's his hilarious. Yeah. Well, then, yeah, that pretty much explains why that happened. <laughs> like, and mystery solved. Don't you want Obama to go that, off script that's... there, though? Don't you totally want Obama to just be like when they're when when he's just like do you promise to faithfully execute? Is like I don't know. Do you promise to be a good Supreme Court justice for change? You know, like just just see what he does. Go at it. Yeah, I bet that would have gone over awesome <laughs> with the country he's trying to unite. I bet everybody would have just loved that. What if he that turned and winked the camera and flashed that smile story? Come on. It would have been fine. To be fair, uh, that was actually something that I found mildly annoying, even being an Obama supporter, which was that every local television interview with somebody who was at one of these events surrounding the inauguration was just really smug, and it was really annoying. Like, you don't have to be smug. You won. Like, great. Congratulations. The country's better. You don't have to act like, oh, we're so happy to have, like, a non-idiot, and let's just don't, you know, get past it already. Oh, well, he's not being smug, though. You're talking about these people who are, like, being smug. Yeah. It's like it seemed like every person they chose to be on TV was like the most partisan type person you could possibly choose, right. and it was really beginning to annoy me. Yeah, and I also liked. Um, oh, but I have to say, the inauguration I thought was well done. I thought the quartet was really spectacular when they were like, "Let's have Itzhak Perlman and Yo-Yo Ma, and let's pretty much have like tremendous musicians play." I thought that was really beautiful. But did you got? You didn't see it, Russ, so you won't know. But story, did you hear yeah. the person reading the poem afterwards? What the? Yeah, heck? we actually we actually turned it off for for a discussion. Oh, okay. Of what people thought right after that, so we okay. missed the poem, which I was kind of disappointed by. But I'm, I have a feeling you're going to tell me I shouldn't have been disappointed. <laughs> well, the benediction was uh, the benediction was cool because the benediction the guy um, was the guy who founded the Southern Christian Leadership Conference with Martin Luther King, and so uh, he was he gave this really good benediction and he finished off with like the the line they used to use which was um uh will the black get his back will the brown stick around will the red man get a head man and will the yellow <laughs> still be mellow will the whites what? do will the whites do right like it was a, it was a rhyme they used to use back in the day and everyone there who was in the civil rights movement smiled but there were some people that I was reading afterwards some comments from people from like places like you know West Virginia and Alabama who are like is he saying that white people are bad I'm like right that's what he's saying no he's saying it's a civil rights thing that's it's the day after Martin Luther King Day come on but so he was really good the poem, though, was right after Obama and before the benediction. And so everyone's okay. like, okay, let's see what this is. And it's this woman, Elizabeth Alexander. I don't know anything about her. And apparently Obama had chosen her. And she's doing this thing which is supposed to be about sort of like, you know, everyone is, is doing their speeches about – everyone is like walking around in America and we, and we connect with each other. And here's all these slice of life, normal everyday activities, but actually they're really important. Like that's basically what he's saying. But okay. the way that it comes out, she reads it. Apparently, she's well known for doing what they call slow poetry slam style, which means she articulates every word like this. So, okay. song, the phrase, the 
day in the where I'm like I'm serious. The entire poem right. was the, read the, like the that, phonics, guess, which, which meant that yeah. So it meant <clears throat> that you it meant like it was like watching the video that Russ posted. Like oh. Be, like I was waiting for her to be like, say it. That is correct. You know, like it was, it was awful. And I was just like, didn't somebody listen to her give? Like, isn't there a rehearsal? Like, doesn't someone practice? And they're like, yeah. Um, unfortunately, we don't have twenty minutes for you to read a fifty-word poem, um, one word every five seconds. So you're gonna have to speed it up here. Like, it was terrible. And and I just. Was Obama still there? Maybe he was going and like signing a bunch of executive orders. Well, and they were like, "I don't care who it is or what the poem is. I exactly. just need some time. Just no, find yeah, me she some was time. Camping. Give That's me great. twenty minutes." <laughs> Somebody on the other end going, "Stretch, stretch." No, he's like, I mean, she's doing her thing, and he's like sitting there, and the camera flashes over to him. And when she finished, like finished the poem, she's like, "And there, praise the day." And then she folds her papers. But since everyone had sort of been lulled to sleep or were kind of waiting for her to say the next word, there was kind of this awkward silence. And then someone in the front's like, clap, 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 clap. And then everyone's like, oh, okay, it must be all. It was like, it was terrible. Right. And like, she was acting like, oh, well, I guess I really delivered my own work. And I was like, oh. couldn't you get James Earl Jones? Like, my Angela wasn't available again. Like, you can't get someone to actually read this work who's halfway competent. I mean, I read the poem later on, and the poem's, like, not that great, but it's okay. But she read it like she was reading a speak and spell. I mean, that that's terrible. <laughs> I just Speaking uh... of the, the false applause thing, the one thing I noticed while I was watching the luncheon was as he'd come in to shake everyone's hand and uh, – he said like a few words, or maybe it was before the luncheon, and he was at the podium, and he left, and the audience didn't pick up their cue that it was time to applaud, because every time he leaves, you have to applaud. So Nancy Pelosi and whoever else she had on the panel were like vigorously applauding as loud as they could, and they were the only two in the room doing it, being like, you are the president, and you must always be clapped for at all times. You will always have rose petals thrown before your feet. Never hear the sound of not clapping, Obama. And it was just really awkward. It's terrible. Yeah, they had uh, Kennedy. Um, I don't know if you heard that Kennedy collapsed during the luncheon. He had, a, I guess, a little – he had a small seizure, which they say was not serious. Right. It was just related to fatigue or whatever. So that was kind of a – everyone was kind of down about that. But then they also, in the original headline, said Senator Byrd also collapses. And it turns out that he just had left. But everyone in the original headline was like, Kennedy collapsed. They're like, and Byrd's an old bastard. He must have collapsed too. So why don't we just run it as two old senators collapsed? Like, <laughs> and he was just like, no, he's fine. He's just, you know. Elderly dominoes fall in U.S. Senate. Exactly. In the middle 11. <laughs> exactly. So, but yeah, and I, I guess they said it was a big, the security that was required with the 4 million people um, that came to see it was like crazy. I, I just can't imagine how you would secure 4 million, you know. How do you, how do you maintain security with four million people? You just ask them all whether anyone's packed their luggage for them, and if they answer the wrong <laughs> way, then you've got them. And make sure they don't bring right? in liquid shampoo. Oh, that was the entire 1990s security perspective. I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly. Don't I heard someone say that that the number they had the same number of security people as there are troops in Iraq or something like that. Right. Somehow <laughs> they're really? like, I can't be right. Like Baghdad and Washington D.C., the two most secure places that exist. Well, yeah. I don't think you. Could... <laughs> well, I, I guess that's true. Baghdad I guess Baghdad secure. isn't really secure, but you know, neither is Washington D.C. They're equally stupid statements. I was going to say these are neither of these are actually secure locations. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Which may tell you something about what 
good having security personnel actually does for the security of your location. Yeah, they were talking about the security measures they took, and they talked about his car, his limo, uh, and they said that the, the quote, the headline was, Secret Service rolls out the new limo, and they were talking about all the details. I'm like, I think if I had like a super deluxe limo, I probably wouldn't go around gloating about, hey, check out this limo. You know why I can't get through it? Because it's got this weird chemical material. Here's the formula in case anyone's interested about why it's so cool. Like, wouldn't you want to sort of keep this on the down low? Like, what I'm are sure you they're using? keeping the important Oh, just stuff. a limo. It's really nothing. It's it's pretty good. It might stop full, a bullet. Full like, <laughs> yeah, except for the driver's side four-inch space on the exactly. front windshield. What? <laughs> why is that called the Achilles heel window? Shut up. No, never mind. <laughs> I think most of these work on the principle of deterrent, though, because none of these things are ever half as good as people say they are. So if you just, like, project a really confident image of, like, no, the bullets just bounce off the glass and no one ever tests Bullets it, actually you know? hit the person who fired them. That's how good this is. They, like, exactly. jump right back. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably because they just got another limo that's on the cheap and they just didn't want anybody to bother. So they put out all of these press releases of... This is even better than the last one. It was also made out of paper mache. <laughs> We've expanded from our stop bamboo model. Stop me when I'm model. being too cynical for Obama Day. <laughs> stop me anytime. Uh, he spoke to me, though. He did. He said, for all the cynics out there. He did. Great. I've never been personally addressed by the president before. It was awesome. I felt like I was probably the only person he was addressing, so... I thought story that his inaugural was pretty somber and not, you know, I thought he was no, pretty. No, I actually, I actually was like generally pretty impressed. I was generally impressed. I don't, you know, I mean the the whole need to kill is, you know, a little know. overrated in my opinion. But uh, but yeah, no, I was I was very I was pleased to see the tone that he struck was not this is time to break out champagne, but much more we can't afford champagne, so. Have this water on me. <laughs> have some sparkling apple cider. <laughs> I, I think that's the right tech. Why didn't he do that story? Why wasn't he just like, and so because we can't afford champagne, I'd like to offer you this. And then he lifts up a big Martinelli sparkling cider. And you and I would have yeah. been the only ones cheering. Everyone else exactly. would have been like, what? No, I think Martinelli is still a little steep also, frankly. I mean, have you seen the economy? Have you guys, like, been out in this shit? It's pretty crazy. I keep hearing things doesn't affect my life. My life is the same as it was before. <laughs> Pretty much the same. Russ is recession-proof. I am recession-proof because I don't try to, like, over-leverage things or buy things that I can't afford or get credit for things that I can't afford. Like, pretty much live within my means. That has not been a problem recently. Because you don't have many means? Right. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't have a girlfriend anymore, so I don't have to spend money on any. <laughs> Warning, warning. No, it's fine. I'm not, that's all I'm going to say. It's fine. <laughs> Klaxon. As long as there's no particulars, we're, we all I don't have, have a sheet of words that we're I'm not supposed to say. Being. Nobody would be offended at that. It's just true. Yay. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about... What was the greater point about the economy that you're making there, Mr. Clayton? Oh, just that it's all going down. But... You'll know that soon enough. By the time this show is recorded, it will be more than apparent. They won't well, be, be able to hear it because they can't box, afford the internet. You exactly. You're like, you living in your cushy one-bedroom apartment? Wait till you live in a box. Then you'll know. You'll know the truth of my blog then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. My internet media will mean even more to you from your box. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What you got? I was just going to say that. Yeah, Greg and I were discussing... Um, 
the parallels with the depression about the hype that this is getting compared to the hype that the depression got. Yeah, of because course, we in truth, could also be clueless in our ignorance of him being practically tenure and me being a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, the... on leave from the city who can't fire me. So right, <laughs> <laughs> they could just remove you. Yeah, well, it's they like... could they could like close the program, I guess, and then leave me off. That's right. First new initiative. He's like, these pregnant women are living off the fat of the land, and it's time to close the loop. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's his top priority. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, that's more the fear mongering. Like, the thing, even about the Great Depression, like, I, I grant you, the Great Depression was obviously an enormous economic, you know, obviously it was an incredible hardship. But even at the most worst economic times, our unemployment rate hovered around 18 to 20%. That's a whole lot, but you realize if 20% of the people were unemployed, that means that 80% of them were employed. And it's like, that's the issue. These things are always more psychological than we give them credit for, which is not to say that people aren't feeling hardship. It's just to put a little bit of a perspective on it, you know, because it's not, you get that, well, we're deep, we're fading fast. It's like, well, we sort of, I mean, yes, we are in big trouble, but but we're not i don't know we're we're in trouble but it's not as critical as everyone makes it it's not as immediate it's not as oh my god batten down the hatches as everyone a lot of that about. is because you have to compare it to the absurd standard of living that we've gotten accustomed to right, so when I you take so. a step back from that and say oh i might actually have to have money for things that i buy that doesn't sound right. so unreasonable when you retreat to that level yeah and i mean i also seriously question the extent to which there is you know like, I think that the general standards of financial practice just before the Depression, as much as they were not great compared to, you know, what they could be ideally, were still way healthier than the way that people have been doing business in the last few years. Because there's there may not actually be any real wealth anywhere. Like, nobody <laughs> can seem to find it. Oh, yes. There may not be anything. Speaking so, of which story, this article yeah. that I wrote for this news magazine that I've been working for uh-huh. was – you would love it. Um, it was basically about how all of these banks that were so worried about bailing out, in addition to obviously not being transparent at all in the way that they're spending the taxpayers' money, right. probably make most of their revenue on money laundering illegal money sources. Like that right. probably is the biggest business for major U.S. banks and has been for years, and nobody says anything about it because without it, they'd all collapse. Exactly. So there's an amazing cool. amount of evidence that points to the fact that there's just crazy amounts of uh, – funneling drug dealer money and narco dollars and terrorist money through like yeah. mainstream US banks and that that amount of business is like literally approaching a trillion dollars a year. Wow. Yeah. I mean it, to a certain extent Greg I sort of see the the downside potential and it's not saying that it's guaranteed or that it's definitely going to happen but it's kind of like you know the last 10 years have been if everybody decided that putting money in a trash can was the really best way to invest and everybody was getting paid 10 to 1 for putting money in a trash can, and they immediately put all of the, nine of those $10 or 10 of those $10 or probably 15 or 20 of those $10 <laughs> back into trash cans so that they could get even more money on their alleged trash can. And then somebody said, hey, wait a minute. This is worthless. Somebody took the trash away. I can't find my money anymore. And then everything, you know, obviously grows in oversimplification. But that's sort of the extent to which... <laughs> like, like you say, obviously... 
<laughs> in case you're all wondering, we're like, wow, that's really apt. And they're like, actually, yeah, it's yeah. a real oversimplification. It's a little oversimplified. It's close, <laughs> though. I mean, it's really closer than it should be, you know? So that's, it's, well, it's like, like, you know, it, it, in the Depression, like, there were, there was baseline wealth that was actually socked away somewhere that people had to fall back on. And a lot of people didn't have it and it wasn't well distributed, but like, at some point, there was a place from which to rebuild, which at this point... Well, story, our wealth isn't happening. wireless. You just can't see it. Is that right? Exactly. That's right. That's right. It's Wi-Fi. It's right All I have to find is a hotspot. It really is. It really is. I had the some wealth the other day at Starbucks. I just went right in. And, yeah. That like, I mean, seriously, if we lost electricity tomorrow permanently or even for 10 days, all of the wealth, I mean, an incredible amount of wealth would just be wiped out because we wouldn't have the systems by which we retrieve the computers that tell us that this money that doesn't actually exist anywhere exists. It's pretty daunting if you really think about it. And that's not even something that's fallen apart. And also, I really quickly, I don't know why you'd object to the constant printing of money and inflation if you don't believe that the other money exists for real anyway. <laughs> I'm just letting Story answer that. I mean, that's all you, Story. Well, you were just saying how none of the wealth actually exists because it's all electronically transferred and conjured into these various banking transfers. But right. if you think that, then why do you object to, like, printing extra money? Like, it's all nonsense anyway. It's all well, it is all nonsense. I mean, the whole idea of currency is, like, the willing suspension of disbelief to begin with. Yeah. Right. Of course. I mean, it's a larger scale, yeah. That's, that's and it's kind of I've always seen. been the way, Story, even back then. I mean, we actually have some controls well, yes, to I, keep our don't... phantasms from vanishing the way they vanished right. at the time. But, I mean, this is why I sort of see the whole currency gambit as a ticking time bomb in the first place. And I've spent most of my life advocating systems that don't have currency at all. Because they are, I mean, that's exactly the issue. The larger problem, I mean, it's not something that's really come to a head at this point, although it's starting to. And once California starts issuing IOUs, we'll see it come to a head a lot more, I think. But, you know, but yeah, the sort of subtext behind everything else is at what point do people lose confidence in currency and as they've lost confidence in every other kind of currency that's ever been printed historically. I mean, that's the only issue, though, isn't it? Like, if the faith. entire economy is psychological, then right. the point where people lose faith in the system is really the breaking point and no well, other thing we have to fear is fear itself. Yeah. That's the right. largest... We yeah, or reality, it. reality itself of actually valuing things for value instead. Oh, we're way we past that. But story, yeah. I can't help well, feeling that a lot of your objection to currency is based kind of on the Civ Four player model, which is just that you know you sort of look at these things and you realize that eventually we pass out of the Bronze Era into the Iron Era, and you know in each of these cases the things from before are completely outmoded and useless, and so this eventually information era nonsense that doesn't mean anything. Exactly. Infor- that's not a commodity. You can't mine information out of the ground. The next era that's is the not- wireless, the the psycho <laughs> the psychote or something. We'll call it the psychote race. Yeah. So it's all just using, psychological. We've been using money for a long time. But different versions. Like Story's point would... is that currency eventually loses that, you know, like eventually people will lose faith in any given currency and then you'll have to move on to another one. I... Yeah. The euro could very easily outlast the dollar. I don't think that's a tough bet to make. Yeah. Like... That's fair. That's totally possible. I'm okay with that. Yours but I mean, at cold. a certain point, you have to sort of wake up when you have a system that, like, by its very nature, fails pretty routinely and doesn't have any lasting faith. And the failures are always catastrophic for the people who are still left holding the bag or left believing in that system. Eventually, one would hope that one gets past that system and comes up with something 
a little better. I you don't know. know. I, I, think to, I think you like have to look at the overall that overall we continue to progress and carry on and that it's it's not doomsday every 10 years that actually we continue to progress and move on. And yeah, complete. like that that's the whole point. Like even if you look at like Black Friday and dead, you know, deadly Black Tuesday and all these things. Right. No, no, not that Black Friday. Black I mean the Black good. Friday when the stock market crashed. You know, <laughs> you they talk Black about Monday? all these crashes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Black Monday. I apologize. Black Monday. And, and you look at all these crashes <laughs> and like the world did not end at those times you know well, like i feel I like the I'm other, con- the other way of looking at it is how many days have we had of the like the doomsday days and then the rest of the year you know is it kind of chugging along so i mean i think if you always just look on that on those negative days and thinking that it continues to fail well the majority of the time it's kind of not failing i mean we can we can be idealistic and communist and say let's all have a time baked system where you know, I'll water your plants and you, you know, fix my toilet. But unfortunately, it's it's probably not very realistic. Because no one wants to fix toilets. That's the problem. And everyone is a plumber and a gardener. <laughs> Which oh, screws over the bricklayers. You need for plumbers. <laughs> you, you need gardeners. But everyone I'm not, I'm not convinced about plumbers. Constant Water gardeners. I was going to say quickly that my theory about the future, and I, you can put money down on this, is what will actually happen is just as in the way that when the banks started failing, the stronger banks started swallowing up the weaker banks. As soon as the U.S. currency starts to fail, we're going to merge with the euro and eventually have the worldo or the eartho, and that'll be the currency that'll be bolstered by everything. Fine. Then we become the Federation the of Planets and we go out to space. Star Trek. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much the direction we're headed. That's fine with me. Although in Star Trek, they didn't have currency. Bring on the Kleons. Well, eventually they, they didn't. If you invent the replicator, that pretty much destroys the And they were the so much more advanced. Oh. <laughs> All snap. Great. <laughs> Story's going to end. His, and my last final point is Star Trek. He's like, my last point yeah, is the I'm Vulcans. What about the Vulcans? It is the, it is the most advanced, longest-reaching future society that we know about, okay? And they are beyond currency. And they're beyond so war, too, Story. That, that the UFP is though, beyond right? war, too. You, you do That wasn't real, right? Well, actually, the most advanced <laughs> civilization that we know of this is, real, is from like H.G. Wells, the time machine, happening? where people like voluntarily cannibalize themselves to alien overlords because they all became mindless slaves. So that was like, you know, 50,000 years past Star Trek. So watch out for that one. That's super future. Oh, right. Yeah. I think they were you know, kind of on alternate timelines, Russ. With every system. <laughs> Not, nothing can be perfect. Russ is like, <laughs> Russ is like the like the free, everything is like Super Smash Brothers, where we bring together characters from every video game ever. He's like, and then there were these guys, Darth Vader and like a lightsaber, and they fought Kirk, and then these and are all the different. Dude. Talking about the future today. Yes, that long, was a long, long time yeah. ago. Yeah, sorry. About the, that. In a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> 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 on the same timeline for some reason. <laughs> Uh, I like that funny. though. It's not like in a parallel dimension. It's like this happened just a really long time ago, nowhere near here. Exactly. But it's totally, totally part of that fear mongering thing, though, and it's that what Cleo was talking about, and it's true. It, it drives me nuts. It's kind of like I think I've talked about this before. How like every science fiction story that is supposedly dystopian, and everyone's just like, ah, the the unharrowing, the unrelenting vision of the future, and blah blah blah. And somehow, if it involves the destruction of all things, that has the aura of truth. But if it is kind of an optimistic look at the future, everyone's like, nah. And I'm like, why is it the case that we are automatically doomed to destruction? any more realistic than being doomed to lollipops and, you know, furry puppies all the time. Like, why is one necessarily more obviously because the truth? Because lollipop is not synonymous with doom. Species? What's that? <laughs> Have you met any human beings? 
And uh, where have you been? Yeah, but it's what? not. But the thing is, it, it's mostly we just muddle along story. Like it doesn't lead to everything coming to an end. You know, like that's it's you know we have good days and bad days, and that's pretty much what it is. So we're not going to be glorious triumphers, and we're not going to be everything is destroyed. It's you know, mm, it's probably a survival instinct. It's probably like if, you know, animals years. on some level always have to think about the worst case scenario, and so it's just probably a survival technique it's not necessarily something inherently wrong with our species it's just probably you know there's probably jellyfish out there thinking oh shit you know <laughs> are you, you telling me the dinosaurs were saying to each other dude one more comet hits the atmosphere they probably had done. their own egyptian sanskrit that said you know <laughs> the the kids don't listen to their parents right exactly and... so they were saying the same thing they're like you know t-rex it's not always going to be like this, man. We're not always going to have everything to ourselves. Yeah, they probably did. <laughs> probably thought one day, But they you know... did die! <laughs> learn nothing from these people? Oh, you learn nothing? <sighs> they did. They all did it. Everybody does. It's inevitable. Well, okay. yes. I mean, there's a basic yes. level on which that's true, but... No, I mean, I, I actually think that optimism is entirely a function of, like, the complacent American society. That, you know, we... I mean, any country that can be so spoiled as to be as outraged and overreactive to September 11th as we were, as the experience, you know, as versus the experience of most countries on the planet, it's a pretty good indication that you have... The people who are a little too comfortable for their own good. I'm yeah, sorry. but Canadians I, I are optimistic. That. What did he say? Europeans are optimistic. What are you saying, Story? You're saying that the fact that we had no right to respond to 9-11 the way we did, it shows that we... No, I'm saying that people's, pre, people's reaction, not the military response to 9-11, but people's sense of like how Armageddon-esque 3,000 people dying was what like is a good indication of how overly cushioned Americans are from general reality of most human beings. I would hope that no one, no country, no human being, no matter how often people die in their city, that they would still go up in arms. The fact that 3000 people were killed. Yeah. Yeah, Like, I don't, I don't, and I I don't think, I don't, I don't think you could probably speak to people in other nations where there are people hundreds of people killed every day that they still just shrug their sh- that they shrug their shoulders when 3000 people die i think they would also shoulders. go equally up in arms scale, the scale of magnitude of feeling like it was the only bad thing that had ever happened in the world and it was I the don't end think of anyone felt and that the way the entire world had I changed i think that's naive no one there no one sense of outrage at that kind of event. The only difference is we have the capability to revenge things more so than other countries do. But if they had those capabilities, they'd do the exact same thing. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not speaking about militarily. I'm speaking on the level that story was talking about. And I think that's I, I, either you didn't know anyone that is was here experiencing it, or you just don't think very much of human beings or Americans in general because I just don't think that's accurate. <laughs> well, that's true. I, I, I think that I think that Americans were feeling the trauma, but I don't think anyone would have said this was the most awful thing that ever happened in the world. Everything that has ever happened since has said universally at the Americans beck and call, the world changed on September 11th. Not America That is changed, media story. That's media hype. That's not the average person, Joe, living their life. Well, I do think, though, but I think what you said, I think that's an important distinction, though, because I've heard people say before from other countries 
Wayne even said this to us, a friend Wayne who lives in uh, Hong Kong, originally from Australia, he said he felt that Americans tend to look at the world in this very much like pre and post 9-11, like that was their watershed moment, when truthfully, you know... It would have been it, a different generation, would have been World War One. Yeah, I mean, World War One or World War Two. benchmark. I, I guess the point is, though, I think Clea's right in the sense that I do think that the media's reaction towards overhyping this, our tendency to make everything into a movie, you know, a script, means that we do have a tendency to sort of think in things of these sort of episodic moments like Pearl Harbor, you know, and Pearl Harbor is the moment when all the world changed. And it's, of course, it's myopia, but... You've always been in silver in that way. Like, we react to everything that way. The entire world is at our beck and call pre and post September 11th. That's why, you know, we are the biggest economy in the world and consume the most with not the biggest population. That's just the way that we think about everything. Yeah, like America by definition is myopic. Like, you know, it's it's, it's always focused on itself. Sure, sure. It's always focused on itself. Well, what I'm saying is, I mean, my larger point was that by being American, that sort of optimism of things are okay and then things are not as great, but we sort of muddle along is more, maybe not uniquely an American experience, but primarily an American and primarily a modern American specifically experience. You don't think Rome thought the same thing? You don't think Rome was focused on themselves? Yeah, Europe or It's it's natural for a a leading country, a a leading nation, to be a little bit self-focused. Yeah, like... I mean, you can't uh, deny that we're one of the major superpowers and the fact that we were attacked on our soil is, is important. The fact that the impenetrable United States was attacked, right. I think, is a significant event. Not it doesn't mean that we're self-focused. It doesn't mean that we're egotistical. It doesn't mean that we think that we're the most important country in the world. It's a fact. I'm saying that the attitude to me indicates a level of assumption of everything being okay with the world that is disproportionate and unrealistic to reality and to the reality of the cycles of societies. I do think Rome felt the same way, and we know what happened to them. I think that eventually the society will pass, and I think that if you surveyed most people in America right now, they would say America will never end. There will be America forever, and maybe the planet will end, but America will find a way to survive, or at, you know, at absolute worst, America will end with the rest of the planet, maybe. And that seems to me pretty unrealistic and pretty... I don't think so, but of course, I also was raised by a father who's been telling me since I was a child that it, you know the world is going to end and this country is you know going to hell in a handbasket and this too will fall and then China will go and but I mean I I I, I just find predictions of utter destruction I, and doom as unrealistic as predictions of utter optimism and glory. No, I, I mean, just I just don't you know. Well, okay, well we're having two different arguments here, Greg. You're talking again about your wanting to fight the concept of doomsday. I'm simply trying to say that I. I think that if you talk to a rational American person, American citizen, that you would actually probably find that they wouldn't say that America's probably going to go on. They probably would say that something's going to happen and you can't be on top forever. Um, I, I just I think it's a little black and white. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's I, – I kind of agree with Clea that it's a little – I think there is part of the American character that is generally optimistic. I do think that's true. But I think that the – I don't think there's anything about the American character that's specifically Pollyannish. I think like most people, if you talk to them on an individual level, would be like, yeah, you know, like 
America is got lots of issues and there's no guarantee that anything's going to happen in the future and blah, 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 which is more or less, I think, the way that a lot of countries in the world are. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, when, when look, Spain got out of the war in Iraq after the bombings happened in Madrid. Now, I mean, and they talk about Madrid as like their 9-11. Is that self-focus? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's more just sort of like, I, I understand that your point is like the shock was greater because your view is that we sort of thought that everything was basically good. I think the shock was greater because we had been told for so long that we had this military might and this military power and everything. And all of a sudden we were struck right at our very core. And I think that really hit people sort of where they lived. But I don't think it was because they had gone around the world with this kind of blithe optimism about everything is wonderful all the time. And then, oh my God, how could anyone ever kill people? I think, I think that's unreasonable to assume that that's kind of the way Americans were going about their lives. I don't really think that's accurate. Fair enough. I mean, you know, we disagree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I. Is this come from you talking to a lot of people's story that you that specifically say Americans always going to be on top and anything? Yeah, I mean, like, do you hear this from people? Because I don't hear it. Absolutely, from... I, I hear it as the baseline assumption behind what everybody says. I mean, until uh... the last eighteen months, and that's part of what you know, and that's part of what I'm talking about of like. You know, this sort of, oh, it's fear mongering, oh, it's whatever. To me, it's, oh, maybe people are waking up to mortality in a larger scale. And, you know, a reality that there are cycles to things, that not everything is America is always great forever and everybody else sucks. And, you know, and that to me is refreshing and encouraging because it's very different than the way that I experience everybody else talking. For a long time before. I mean, not obviously not super thoughtful people or people I consider my friends, yeah. but pretty much I mean, everybody I think that, else. I think your perception could could definitely influence the way that you're perceiving people's views of things based on what they say. I mean, I think we've always had fear mongering. It's Opinions always been around. at large do not represent the larger body politic <laughs> or intelligent people who may, may not be Story's friends. I mean, like, Story, really, with friends of yours or people in Berkeley, you run into people talking about how America's going to go on forever? Like, really? And then they sing, America, yeah. <laughs> yes, please tell me if you've ever heard people do that yeah. story. I'd like you to start there, <laughs> <Yeah>. please. <laughs> Just now. No, but really, like, you're cl people like you, I mean, because you're living, let's be fair, you're living in an area which is not known for um, its center-right politics, you know? I mean, like, the people right. you talk to no, really true. act this way? Like, where, where... A lot of people, remarkably, do. And a lot of people, you oh. know, people I work with at a nonprofit in San Francisco still have these basic assumptions about America's imperviousness to anything. And that, hmm. you know, again, until very recently. And, and a lot of the sort of stupor and shock that I've seen some people running around with with this is not necessarily as much because they're being affected directly or personally and going broke, but because they just can't believe that these machines that, you know, everybody took for granted for so long are failing. And, I'm stunned that they know, would think that. That's, that's amazing. To me. I, I don't know. Maybe but, this is like, you know, George Bush being elected. It's like maybe no one around us talks this way and maybe everyone around story talks this way. I yeah, mean, I, I, I don't hear that. this from anybody. <laughs> Bear in mind, like... We live in a new dawn of hope and all that, but that's only via, you know, 53-ish percent of the populace voting for it. It wasn't in any way, like, a, a huge majority that voted. Well, it was by 9 million was people, was running though. against him also. I mean, the degree of difficulty was not high in this election. I'm sorry. Yeah. John McCain did not put up a fight. But in fairness, though, the people that I've spoken to, a lot, even the ones who, who voted for McCain, I have I have heard very few people say... 
anything other than this kind of basic, wow, I really can't wait. I mean, like, you know, four million people went to hear the inauguration and he won. In fairness, it is 53 to 46 or whatever. But that has nine million votes. Like, that's not that's not like a small. Oh, it was only a very close percentage. I mean, like, that's a lot of people. And even the that's people who didn't only elect no, him, 60. 50 to 60 percent of uh, eligible voters, voting. which is still more, though, that we've had in like 30, 40 years. Yeah, I mean, all positive signs like right, like the, the politically motivated people were clearly the ones who made this happen for Obama. And that's why you had so many people going to see the inauguration and so many people reinvigorated, especially young people like all great signs. But that doesn't mean this country, while it's significantly moved in it's significantly shifted. I still think that for the most part, the country is pretty stupid and a uh, hundred million people don't know what the hell's going on. Sure. I don't deny that the 85% rule you mentioned is still somewhat in effect, but I do think from a lot of evidence from students that I teach, people that I talk to, even you know members of my family who didn't go to college, who don't have the, any kind of an education to speak of, but who either voted for Obama for the first time or di or voted for McCain, but are now like really excited that Obama's there. They almost like voted for McCain, kind of embarrassed. They're like, well, I don't know what else to do because I vote for McCain, but now they're all like, I hope Obama can help me. You know, like it's all very to me. It's I think. It is a significant shift. It doesn't mean that everything is, you know, everything is hunky-dory now. And I think that's part of the argument that Obama is making is even in his inaugural was like, look, I'm not Superman. You know, like I'm not going to just – I'm not going to save your – fix your mortgage, you Bob Jones in, you know, Cedar Rapids. Um, but I do think that it is a significant shift and I think – I think it's little – I think the even the international reaction, the sort of stunned, wait, you guys just elected a black man? America did this? With a, with a guy's last name that sounds Muslim with you guys after 10 years of anti-Muslim bashing? You know, it's 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 – I think it's pretty significant, and it's true that the degree of difficulty might have been lower because of not only Bush but McCain, who ran an incompetent campaign. Like all true, but I think it's not. I think it's not completely fair to dismiss the significance of this moment as people understand it. I mean, literally, it's an election that means more to anybody that I know than any other election in my lifetime. Now, in my mid thirties, like I, I guess that's I pretty kinda, important. I, I I see, and I don't consider myself an optimist. But I kind of see things as a corkscrew and that we will continue to go around in the same circles, but we're slowly but surely progressing upward. That was Yates' vision too, by the way. And and so I, I agree with you. I'm not going to deny that we continue to screw up and screw up and screw up. Mm -hmm. But again, I also think on a personal level, I, I screw up and I screw, I screw up, but I believe that every time I screw up, I, I make a little bit better improvement in myself. And I guess I kind of feel that that's true of humanity and maybe a little bit of America as well. But I don't think that that means that we're completely blissfully ignorant that America still has a long way to go and that we're going to be always on top and champagne for all my men. But I, I, I mm. do think I do think it's a little black and white to say that everyone needs a wake up call that you know soon we will fall off our pedestal for the next superpower. I just uh, – I think that – and again, it might just – what I was saying about the Bush thing is like when Bush got elected, we were kind of like, who are these people voting for Bush? And we didn't know anyone who who did except for my right. dad. So, But I guess maybe these people exist, but everyone I kind of talk to is, is kind of like, yeah, America sucks, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, maybe we'll do – maybe we'll make it. You know, I don't know much, how much right. longer. Maybe China is going to take over. I mean I don't see talk to a lot of people who – 
who are blissfully ignorant that America is going to last for very long. Yeah, I agree. But I, I, hmm. but but obviously these these people also don't think that when we fall we'll be a poorhouse. I mean, I think that they think that you know. They think that Alberico might become like, you know, Great Britain, like a faded empire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's not like Great Britain, you know, vanished from the face of the earth. Like it didn't become apocalypse now, but it also, you know, they don't they don't have an empire anymore. And I think some of the resonances of a lot of this work, we went to see a play called Caesar and Cleopatra uh, a few days ago, which is a play by Shaw mm -hmm. about Rome and, you know, about Caesar, obviously. And one of the interesting things is I think one of the reasons there's been this increased interest in Rome and Caesar and all that is it Rome was an empire that faded and Great Britain is an empire that faded. And I think America is an, as an empire will fade. I think it's a long way though to go from that to saying that America will collapse um, and not exist anymore. Will it exist as the only superpower? No, probably not. Will it not exist at all? Eh, I don't know about that. I think that's a little strong. Fair enough. I mean, you know, not surprisingly, you guys are more reasonable than the average person that I come into contact with, So, <laughs> which may be why I pursue more contact with you than with the average I'm person. I'm just surprised, but... though, because the people you talk to are, like, at nonprofits and, like, places where you would expect people are pretty left-wing and, like... Yeah, and, I mean, I think that there's a certain extent to which, like, which I just think the examination of the possibility of things other than... American supremacy and dominance and existence are just not considered. I mean, it's not, you know, I mean, there are certainly a lot of people that I have more peripheral contact with through the Internet or people who I don't know as well that are more sort of hardcore, you know, America is the best and is actively the best country in the world and anyone who says otherwise is an idiot and whatever. But like, you know, but yeah, I think a lot of people, it's just sort of an unexamination. It's like, well, of course, what else would happen? Hmm. This is... I also American. I have a lot of experience with uh, people in an older generation, especially either immigrants themselves or the children of immigrants who have a very emotional reaction to that question at all because they just feel like, well, I escaped some horrible oppression. And so since I was given the opportunity to do what I wanted here, you're not allowed to say anything bad about my country. Right. And I don't I understand where that's coming from. I don't think that's particularly productive point of view, but I understand. Right. Maybe we are as a country becoming a little bit less black and white. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe overall we will be, but we have a tendency to sort of focus on one side or the other, the political spectrum, because of the people that we hang out with and those people that we spend time with. And so maybe that stuff is more obvious to us as a result. But I think that, I don't know, I, I feel like there's more sort of rationality or at least more kind of like, eh, we'll see what happens coming into play here. We'll see. I don't know if that's true or not, but... You know, and we'll see whether or not this is actually a sea change. I, I think it's – I honestly think – I've believed this for a while – that had Obama under the circumstances not been elected instead we would have gotten McCain, I think that might have for me demonstrated the complete failure of American democracy. Like if there was ever an example of two candidates that represented the the sort of – choice for what you really needed to do to bring this the country in another the direction people, or not. Please take note. You know? Taking out the optimist is providing to you a flipping of a 5346 scenario by which he gives up on America. Continue. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, all I know is that I felt after the 2004 election like I didn't understand anybody. Like I was like, how could you possibly vote for this moron again? And I was because tempted. John McCary was John McCain. And yeah, well, that's, that's it. This is the elections are far less about who wins, and they're far more about who loses. I think you're I mean, probably right about favorite. that. But right. I do think too that Obama went out at this point and went out to try to be like, no, I'm going to present a vision to you, and I'm going to keep presenting the vision to you. 
and either take it or leave it. I and wanna, I, I give him credit a, for that. You I want to do a check-in, though. Story, you're not going to change your opinion about your relationship with America. And Greg, you're not going to change your opinion about your relationship with Obama such that we're not going to be able to post this, uh, <laughs> this episode, are you? Hey. <laughs> America, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest country ever. Fuck everybody. A couple days from now, Story's going to email me. He's going to be like, Greg, um... I've been thinking about it, and um, yeah, I actually kind of Look, love America. Look, it's not America. my fault. I <laughs> get ridiculous it for how long I was taking that question seriously from Clea. Like, she had actually completed it before I got what she was actually saying. I was like, wait, you're just saying that we're both stubborn and hard? Oh. No, this is a oh. dig on us. Don't you get oh. it? Us is ruining everything with his fickleness. Yay. <laughs> no, I just wanted you to okay, so carry on. No, I, 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 might have, I don't think I, I have don't anything else to say about that. I my friends disagreeing like this. I really don't think we should broadcast this kind of show. Yeah. <laughs> like, Story's going to yeah. join, like, the Republicans of Berkeley. Yeah, He's exactly. He's not going to want to... Which will be a meeting this. of himself in a room going, say, oh, guys, guys, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Hello? Anyone? Hey, they anyone? told me someone would be here. Why is there this shaded sign over the door if no one's coming? What the heck? <laughs> Speaking of uh, people coming and going, it's time for us, I think, to be going since we are now clearly at an hour. Uh, but we want to thank everybody for listening and uh, congratulate uh, people, congratulate Barack Obama on becoming the next president and ask whether you too feel uh, optimistic or believe that America is coming to an end. His story doesn't. <laughs> if you believe that America is coming to an end, then before it happens, you might as well have some fun by commenting on our website. So if you could go over to MepReport.com and do that, we'd really appreciate it. We'll have a new number up for you soon, too, as well. And um, updated so th- daily thanks you for like listening it. come check it out it's a whole new site it's a whole new world and it's a whole new map that's right we we rebranded map and look at this now Obama's elected president a whole new map coincidence enjoy anytime you like you don't need a headset you can use the map report with your eyes <laughs> <laughs> I can make I can you laugh with my giant emu <laughs> soaring flying although the emu can't so that's some sad oh thanks guys just leave me hanging nobody picks up and like that's just terrible I was enjoying the music hello baby <laughs> say goodbye everybody he thought I wouldn't do it Somebody might be right. The proceeding was a presentation of the MEP Report, hosted at www.mepreport.com. All rights reserved. In no way should any part of this show be construed as an invitation to buy, sell, or trade flightless birds, or reassemble Voltron. Or at least not the stupid one of the cars. Please support the Mep Report by voting for the show at www.vitalpodcast.com, adding the show to your list of favorites at podcastpickle.com, and clicking on the Vote for Mep link on the Mep Report homepage to vote for us at podcastalley.com. Email us at Greg, Russ, Story, or Andy at mepreport.com, and call us and leave a voicemail or a fax at 206-600-MEP1. That's 206-600-6371. And finally, please join the fight to stop the senseless farming of emu plants. It's immoral, it's unethical, and frankly, it's just a little bit gross. Just another day away